Welcome to the Court to Corporate Podcast. I'm your host, Kirby Porter. On this show, we sit down with current and former athletes to discuss their personal playbooks and dive deeper into how it has translated into success and lessons outside the game and in the business world. You can find this podcast on your favorite streaming platform or at courttocorporate.com. Court to Corporate is all about amplifying the journey of athletes in corporate America and showcasing how your athletic influence can serve to build your path. Stay up to date with more content and perspectives across all of our social platforms. These will be linked in the show notes or they can be found on our website. Thank you for tuning in. Let's get started. All right, what's up, everyone? It's Kirby. We are back into the swing of things, second episode of December, finishing the year strong over here. So today's episode, our guest is Shanae Grimake, two-time WNBA All-Star and NBA ESPN analyst. That is right, she is doing both at the same time. So I'm super excited about this one. I actually grew up watching Shanae while she was playing at Stanford, and it's so cool to see today how she's growing her career both on and off the court. So of course, in this conversation, we are diving into exactly that. We're starting with her time on the Stanford women's basketball team, how she founded the viral sensation Nerd City, and talking about her transition to the WNBA. We then discuss how she launched her media career at ESPN while playing and the mindset that has driven her growth from getting her foot in the door to now being a full-time NBA analyst. Lastly, we wrap up with advice on being a woman in the sports industry, what it's like for her balancing both, and how she's thinking about the progression of her career on and off the court. Before we pass it off, make sure to leave us a rating and comment, share it with others if you're listening on Spotify, my personal favorite. It will help more athletes come across our episodes, which is, of course, what we all want. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Shanae Ogumake. Hope you enjoy. So, Shanae Gumake, thank you for joining us. Two-time WNBA All-Star, ESPN analyst, podcast host, above all things. Um, I want to start by saying, so there's many things I remember from my high school basketball days. I know I just said this, um, but the first one was Skylar Diggins' Nike headband, and the second one was Nerd City. So, the Nike headband. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, I wore that headband like nobody's business. Every game, every practice on the bus, shoot around. Did you wear it? Like, were you one of those? I was always wearing headbands, but I, yeah. you know, it was different with Skylar because she sort of made it a thing to tear it off when she was like mad. And, right. and so Skylar's, Skylar's one of my big sister's best friends and she's one of my big sisters as well. Cause we are just a, a class apart. So um, just watching her rise was fun. And like, we supported her. She supported us. We were always saying that she should have come to Stanford cause that was like her second choice, but Andy was good for her as well. <laughs> It was it was good for her and it was good for the headband because everybody was wearing that thing. Um, but the second thing was Nerd City. So I, for me, like going through my recruiting process, I knew what schools I was focusing on with Ivy League schools. And with AAU, I was playing with some really impressive players that were going to top 10 programs, big conferences, and seeing the Stanford women's basketball team go viral with this during that time, during tourney time, that was really the first time I felt like, okay, like it's cool to do both in my own way. But for our listeners that are not women's college basketball junkies and fans like ourselves, from the founder of Nerd City, yourself, tell us about what it is and your time in the Stanford jersey. Oh my gosh, yeah. So it's just funny because Nerd City, it, it honestly came from like the time when you're at 
you know, you're in college, it's holiday time. If you're a hooper, you know that during the holidays, you stay, you practice while everyone goes home because you tend to have games around the holidays because holidays are great times to gather around, you know, the TVs and watch sports. So we were at um, the hotel right off our university because they have to clear out the university in this time. And I remember I was in a room, in a hotel room. I think NECA was my roommate, ironically, for this trip. My big sis, NECA. And we were just sitting and talking. And I was saying, man, NECA, like Stanford's not just Stanford. Like, we're like nerd city. And she started laughing. I was like, we're totally nerd city. And I remember um, we were just playing music and Rack City by Tyga came on. And I just sort of was like, man, we're nerd city, man, nerd, nerd city. And so during, you know, I used to rap. It sounds hilarious. Sort of like Lupita Nyong'o. <laughs> like, you know how she has her troublemaker alter ego? Yep. I totally was that, that person throughout high school. So before um, our high school games, I used to rap about our opponents. In college, I would rap about our opponents, too. Even after, like, when we get big wins, I would flow. Like, it was hilarious. I stopped. I fully stopped. I don't do that Bro. I was going to say, like, but, do um, now. <laughs> like you're... Hard pass. Um, but basically, uh, so I spent that evening, because we didn't have homework or anything, and I just was, like, joking with that guy. I was like, man, we're, like, nerd, nerd, city kid, like, A's, 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 and B's on a transcript. You know, like, just joking some stupid stuff. And so I made this rap. And that's all, so the next day in practice, we're waiting for our coach to come into our video session. And uh, Neko's like, yo, today I made this rap, listen to this. So I performed it in front of our team. Everyone was dying. And our media guy walks in and was like, Chanae, we should like actually record this. So we spend like two hours, one day, two weeks later. And I just sent out a mass text to all the student athletes who are typically your friend circle at Stanford. I was like, hey, show up. We're going to do a music video. So a lot of the top athletes showed up for this music video, which is comedy. And... They posted it, and it was around the tournament time, so that they played it on, like, the selection show. Like, I even remember some, some girls from other schools, like, were putting out tweets, like, so corny, they're so lame for this and all that stuff. Meanwhile, it's, go, it's going viral. Meanwhile, it's, like, taking over our whole university. Like, it was just so funny. There are some, like, you know, at Stanford, which is very similar to Harvard, sometimes like at, like athletes are just regular people mm-hmm. it's like almost like we don't even we, we're, we're i don't want to i don't want to we're not that special exactly we're not that special because like you're i remember my roommate my freshman year he used to leave uh he used to leave his room in, in the middle of the night and i was like you know like in stanford we had co-ed dorms so like the guy his my neighbor i'd, I'd like open my door and be like where are you going i always hear you leaving in the middle of the night he's like oh i have conference calls with China for a business that I'm running. And I'm like, okay, this place is a whole different level. So it was funny. Even professors that didn't really know much about sports were like, hey, aren't you the girl that made the video? I'm like, I'm the basketball player. But sure, yeah, <laughs> like whatever. Um, so it blew up. And so I think the purpose behind it was just to redefine what the word nerd meant, right? Like, because at this time, right before I came, our football team was really entering its peak, its prime. We were like 0-11 and a couple of years before, and then we were going to Rose Bowls. We had a quarterback, Andrew Luck, who went number one in the NFL draft. Necco went number one in the WNBA. Ashley Hansen was a number one pick in softball. Mark Appel was a number one pick in baseball, all in the same year. This was the peak of Stanford Athletics. Richard Sherman, Doug Baldwin, Toby Gearhart. Um, there's like, like, and on the back end of it is Christian McCaffrey, even modern, modern times. So we were in this peak period in which – you know, uh, Stanford Athletics was thriving, but you'd listen to the games and the broadcasters would say, they're doing so well. 
for an academic institution. They're doing so well considering. And so I think we were just trying to redefine what the word nerd meant in a trendy, fun way, and it just sort of blew up. So that was the nerd city thingy. It just literally came from like a random moment, just killing time. And then it just became a little fun mantra. And even now, like Stanford considers itself honorary nerd nation, which was like the second version of the video. But um, yeah, so it was just trying to redefine what nerd meant. And it, and it didn't discriminate, meaning whether you are a musician, whether you are trying to start a startup, whether you are big into astrology, whatever your passion is, if it's sports, football, basketball, whatever it is, you can be the greatest at both. You can be great academically and you can be great athletically. One does not have to, you know, edge out another. Exactly. And to that point, like, I feel like that was literally, sounds like how that's you, that's how you approach your career. That was how I approached my career. And coming into that at that time, like seeing that on such a large scale is like so important to see, right? Because the narrative before, as you just mentioned, is like, oh, they're doing okay. Like, look at them. They're making strides for Stanford. And it's like, no, like, you put in the work on both ends and you can do both. And I think that was just super cool that you guys are able to start that. And I think you see it even more now. So it's awesome. And also totally relate on the not being so special part <laughs> because um, <laughs> one time I remember when it was my junior year, we beat, we were like 16 and one, we we're having a year and we beat Kansas and like beating the school from like a big conference. Like, okay, like you feel kind of cool. And we were getting some attention. I was like, oh, okay, like, is this what it feels like? You know, like this is different. <laughs> so totally, <laughs> totally feel you on that, but um, you know, all, all in good efforts. So Tell us about going from a nation's top program, being at the highest level of play, to having that success continue, obviously, your rookie of the year, two-time all-star, but coming into your first season in the WNBA, what was the biggest adjustment for you? Was it more mental or more physical? Just tell us about that. Yeah, so I think I had a cheat sheet just because my sister had already gone through the process two years before. So Nessa got drafted in 2012. And when she got drafted, it immediately, like, put it on the radar. I want to have this exact same experience. I want to be a number one draft pick. And so she started giving me the cheat sheet, like, basically saying, I remember so much so that during my last game at Maples at Stanford, Maples Pavilion, we were losing to UNC. And NECA came and found me at halftime and gave me this crazy pep talk. I remember someone took a photo of it. Like, Shanae, snap out of it. Like, you got to win. Like, she, And, you know, that's how much she wanted that experience for me to go to the Final Four my senior year and to be successful and all that stuff. And so she gets drafted and she has she starts going through it. So by the time I get drafted in 2014, two years later, she's sort of like, I remember my first game I was, like, going up against. Maybe it was similar. The biggest challenge I had was Tamika catching. And I was like, Nessa basically, all right, this is what you have to do. You have to stay close to her. You have to do. So she would give me all the tips and tricks to try to be successful and like all the people to know and the places to go and how to just be a professional. So I sort of had that spark note for entering the WNBA. And I had someone I could call on that was just going to support me no matter what through thick and thin. Right. So it was, it was good to have her, but it was a challenge just because it wasn't even necessarily the basketball it was the fact that WNBA players, once you're drafted, are coming straight off of your collegiate season. It's so you finish in the final four. Exactly. You finish in the final four or first week in April. The draft is a week later. And then you're expected to be at your destination a week or so after that. And so I had to graduate early, uh, a, semester, uh, a quarter early, just so that that April period where I'd be typically in school, April to June, I was free. 
So I was graduated. So that meant I had no like elite, you know, I had no nothing outstanding happening at Stanford. So I could just commit wholeheartedly to the WNBA. So I think it was just that that transition from going straight from college where like you were, this was your family for four years straight to a, for me, it was Connecticut, a completely different area um, that I'd never really been exposed to, never really been exposed to the snow and all that stuff. And so, and it's a, it's a different place. Like you are on your own. Right. And so I was there and then immediately I go into my first overseas season, which was again, a challenge just because that's the life of the, the female basketball player. And then I got injured there. So it was like a, so much happened to me so fast. Um, finished my Stanford career, got drafted number one, went to the WNBA, was an all-star, went to team USA camp, goes overseas to Italy and then gets injured. So bam. So it's like highs, lows, you know? And um, I, I, I guess that was that first year was extremely rewarding, but extremely challenging. But at the end, it was rewarding because you don't realize how strong you have to be until that's the only choice you have. Right. So it was uh, it was a tough year, but um, I, I'm glad I've had these experiences. No, of course. And it, I mean, talk to us about those highs and lows in your first year. Right. So rookie of the year, but also went overseas and explored the route that a lot of w, WNBA players um you know, pursue and, and going overseas in the off season. But I mean, tell us with, with all of that, like, where's the story in there about how you launched your media career? Was it grounded in the injury and off time that you had? Was it something that made you think a little bit differently about it? Like, we'd love to just hear behind the scenes for you. Like, what was your thinking that allowed you to expand into other areas during that time? Yeah, so I think uh, I had to turn my injury into an opportunity, quite frankly, just because I knew that after being, I was injured twice. I was injured while playing overseas in Italy, and then two years later, I was injured overseas playing in China. And so I realized that my body can't take playing 24-7. So I was like, okay, I was sitting at home, and I just was rehabbing from these injuries, and I was just thinking, I was like, I have to find a way to to make the most of my career, whether I'm on the court or not. And so ironically, um, when I was rehabbing for my first time in Connecticut in 2014, so this was at, at the end of my first year, December, 2014, I was rehabbing at home. And then I come back the next year, I'm sitting out that following season, 2015 season, and I'm in Connecticut apart, you know, still trying to like be a part of the team because, you know, people know that once you leave, it's sort of hard to just jump right back in. So I was there with the team and my team would go on the road and I'd be in Connecticut. Ironically, in Connecticut, there's not much to do other than work, which for me was the WNBA or in my backyard was ESPN. So I had already done the ESPN car wash, meaning I'd gone at once I was drafted. I went on all their TV shows as the number one draft pick and like did one of those cool days. And when I was there, I met a woman named Lisa Stokes, who was the head of their talent office at the huge women's basketball fan. She used to hoop. She still hoops. Um, just for fun, recreationally. And so when I was rehabbing in Connecticut, my team would go on the road. This was during the summertime when a lot of their top analysts usually take breaks and they bring on a, bring on a lot of fresh new voices. So Lisa said, hey, Chanae, you, you, you had so much fun when you came. Why don't you jump back on and try to um, also figure out like how you can, you know, maybe build into doing this, you know, in your off time. So the first opportunity I got at ESPN was ironically first take and guest co-hosting his and hers. And at that time, like, I didn't really know much about sports television broadcasting. So I was like, oh, cool. I'll do whatever shows you want me to do. Those are the biggest shows at ESPN at the time. 
And so I remember I was like, oh my gosh, when I started watching the show, so I knew I was doing that probably two to three weeks in advance. I was like, oh snap, like I got to know everything on football, on baseball, on basketball, on sports, you name it. So I spent two weeks just studying up for those opportunities, especially on first take, because I knew I was like, I don't want to go up there and look like boo-boo the fool. So <laughs> I went on and I always told people it's a sink or swim moment. Like ESPN will throw you on just to see if you sink or swim. What's the most, like what comes off authentically? And to me, I was just trying to be myself. I came prepared and I had fun on both of those shows. So, I, you know, I had a lot of uh, positive feedback. But then I realized, I was like, you know what? If I want to do this more consistently, I can't just wait for a Stephen A or at the time a Skip Bayless or, you know, like uh, Jamel Hill or Michael Smith to be sick. And then hopefully they pick me to jump on. Instead, I really need to actually like figure out how to get reps because TV like basketball is all about reps for success, right? You shoot on the gun, you shoot and you get, you can shoot in the game. All right. You, you're on TV. The more reps you get, the more comfortable you are, the more you can handle top television. So I decided to take a slate of women's college basketball games from wherever I could do it. So, or at least, you know, take whatever media gig I could. So I worked with the PAC 12 network, got a, my first year. I got like about 15 games that following winter to the spring, um, I got about 15 games from ESPN. I was one of the first um, athletes at Uninterrupted when they only had three employees. So it was Serena Williams, it was Draymond Green, it was LeBron James, and then it was a girl named Chanel Gomez that not, not many people knew. So like I worked, I worked with Uninterrupted way early. Now they have 100 employees. You know, it's just funny to see how people and businesses and industries grow. So I did that first year. And that, but then in the back of my mind, ball is life. Like I'm rehabbing. I want to get back to the court to prove to people I can be a top player. Get back in 2016. It was great. And then get injured again when I was overseas in China. And after that, I was like, all right, I can't be doing this play basketball 24 seven thing. So on my second, when I was rehabbing for my second time, I was home in Houston, Texas, and I was already in the sports world. So I'd wake up, watch the news, and then I'd watch first take and first take was my show. And so when I was rehabbing that second time, getting ready for my comeback in 2018, um, I was still doing, I realized by that time, hey, I prefer being in studio in Connecticut, which meant I could just stay in Connecticut instead of bouncing all over the country for games so I can rehab a little bit better, be more attuned. And also studio allows me to show more of my personality. While games, you sort of have to tell the story of the game. In the studio, you can talk about people and bring your points of view and your personality. So I was gravitating more to studio work and then ironically, when I was coming back my second time, um, in, in Connecticut, they launched Sports Center Africa. So ESPN has a whole international group. And so they launched a sports center that airs to millions throughout Africa. Now, they invited me by nature, me being a rare African in Connecticut, to um, go get interviewed to go get interviewed for Sports Center Africa. So I go in and do an interview for them. I have fun. I fly out to Los Angeles. And on the flight out, the, the head boss at the time, Sean Riley, called my agent and was like, hey, yo, can we have Sinead come back? And I was like, sure, they're curious about me coming back. Whatever, I'll come back if they want me to come back. So I come back and I shadow the show. They pop me in the anchor seat and they say, hey, Sinead, can you read from a prompter? So I tried reading from a prompter. Hey, Sinead, can you read this highlight? I had no clue what was going on. And I just tried, I was like, is it left or right? Is it up or down the shot? She, I just tried it. And then I left, you know, I was like, oh, that was a fun experience. And I remember looking at the tape when I was done, I was like, oh, shoot. Like, I thought it sounded like a hot mess. Usually on TV, like whatever feels like a hot mess in your head never is as bad as it seems on TV. Because like in your head, you're scrambling. But 
on TV, you know, like shout out to hair and makeup and people and lighting and, and graphics that sort of, you know, cover all those things. So I remember looking back, I was like, oh man, I didn't do as bad as I thought. Like that was funny. That was a fun experience. On my second flight back out to Los Angeles, they offered me the position to be one of the co-hosts and anchors of that Sports Center Africa show. So that was the first time I had real reps, like a daily beat. So I was there four, three to four times a week. Wow. And the way Sage Steele or Kevin Nagandi or Carrie Champion host Sports Center, I was doing the same thing for the millions throughout Africa. And to this day, I really feel like that was probably the most, um, that was the role that I've had that really meant the most to me because, you know, by being Nigerian American, a female athlete, for me to be able to broadcast sports news to the millions throughout Africa, knowing that Africa is a very patriarchal society, meaning young girls simply don't get many opportunities to do what they love. They're expected to be more domestic. And especially young girls are not told to be, you know, passionate about sports or that that's something that could really transform their lives. For me to just sit and, and break down the sports news to a lot of men that can look and say, oh, well, my daughter or this girl that I've seen, you know, on the street that really is passionate about sports, maybe I should look at her differently because th this sports worked out well for this African girl. Maybe it can work out well for the ones in, in my community. So, like, to me, that was the most important thing I've done. Um, but the cool thing about that is I was doing a lot of silent reps. Like, you weren't seeing me host a sports center in the U.S., but it was throughout Africa, which meant I could make mistakes, kind of, and, like, you know, just, it was not as high pressure, but I was getting a quality, quality experience. I remember we used to have college football coaches come through, all the athletes and celebrities come through, so we'd get those guys, but it was just shown throughout Africa. So, eventually, you know, I used to do my own NBA segments on Sports in Africa, just because, you know, I love the NBA, and so I eventually those some of those segments would make it onto the app digitally, like and throughout ESPN. Sometimes they'd run them on Sports Center, like just fun of my fun takes. And so one thing turned into the other and the main sports center, Sports Center Domestic as we call it internally, the one that everyone sees here in the US and around the world, they said, Shanae, would you like to come on as an NBA analyst? Uh, one of our sports center shows. I remember that was December, I believe, twenty eighteen. And I was so nervous. I was so scared. And I went in there as prepared as I could be. Ironically, you know, those, those analyst hits on SportsCenter, it's a 60-minute show. Typically, you go on there for, like, you, don't, you have two minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And I came in as prepared, and I had fun. And after that, it turned into another opportunity, and it turned into a full-time role as an NBA analyst, and now, like, more so um, covering any sports topic. But that's my long story that started off pretty much, you know, with, just having some tough situations in life and just yeah. trying to capitalize on saying yes. And then ironically, I remember when I was watching, you know, like now I'm an NBA analyst. Um, I was watching first takes, you know, during my hardest times when I couldn't even walk back home in Houston, Texas. Now it's like, okay, they asked me to go on that same show and be one of the guys, the women, you know, I say guys, but one of the people to debate Stephen A or, Max Kellerman and it just it just shows how life comes full circle like I would have never envisioned myself being a full-time NBA analyst two years ago when I was you know laid up in Houston Texas wondering if I could play basketball again but two years later I'm playing in the WBM and then Los, Los Angeles I'm able to go on that same program so like it's just funny how life is a roller coaster and I just feel I feel super grateful for the opportunity I know it's a super long story no, but it's sort I... of like one of those things that builds into the next yeah, no, exactly. I, mean, I was just going to say, like, I really love hearing about, like, how you were navigating 
all the opportunities that came in front of you, saying yes to things, maximizing those that you had, and seeing that come full circle. Like, I would, I would love to hear, like, how with all those that came in front of you, so, like, first take, Sports Center Africa, being on the sidelines, Pac-12, like, how throughout all of that were you navigating, like, is this the right one for me? Or was it more so, like, I'm going to take this because, like, I'm passionate about it. I want to see what this path can look like for me. Like, what was your thinking process throughout this from, like, May 2018 to now being full-time as an NBA analyst and how you navigated those opportunities at ESPN? Yeah, so saying yes to a lot of things allows me now to say no. Mm, Meaning I've said yes. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like, I've said yes to everything. I said yes to actually um, my first gig at the Pac-12 Network as a, like, they were just trying to find a way to use me. They're like, all right, Chanae, you're going to come to the Pac-12 Women's Basketball Tournament. We're going to put you on the San Francisco, whatever the train is. It's not the bar. I forgot what it was. Or maybe it was in Seattle, whatever the train was where the Pac-12 tournament was, and you're going to interview mascots. I was like, okay, great. And then I get there with the mic in my hand. I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't think about this. Interviewing mascots, that's impossible. Mascots, don't talk. <laughs> you know, so I was, right. I was saying yes to a lot of crazy opportunities, like crazy things that people would probably be like, interview mascots, no. Or like I was just trying to learn the lay of the land. I come in, I go into the studios early, and I go and meet the producers, and I'd understand how they build graphics. And so I just learned and immersed myself to all aspects of the business. So now, like, you know, years later, like three or four years later, I have literally said yes to so many things. People are working, like, during the holidays, I don't, like, the past three or four years, I don't go home with my family. I'm typically working, which is a blessing, especially in sports, to be working in the holidays. But a lot of times, top people can, like, sort of leave, you know, and I'm trying to fill in. So it's like, it's like I'm constantly in a stage, uh, I think because I'm young and, and I'm in, I'm a female in the NBA space where like you will never, ever get the full credibility of, of being in that space because I, I'm, an, I'm a WNBA player, not an NBA player. I'll never be Paul Pierce. I'll never be Jalen Rose. I'll never be Tracy McGrady. I'll never be Scottie Pippen. I'll never be Ch- Charles Barkley. I'll never be Shaq, you know? So it's like I still will always be at a deficit according to some sports fans. So I really have to grind, right? But at the same time, it's that challenge of trying to see like people that come in with the preconceived notion that, oh, she is less than, and then realizing, oh, well, she is more than, right? Like she comes more prepared than these guys. She comes with better analysis. She comes with her facts. She comes with her point of view, her plays, everything. Like that's the fun aspect aspect of it. So like being on that grind of showing people that I'm more than, um, has been a challenge, but it, and it's it's been tedious. Meaning, like I'm trying to do the most, you know, like trying to make sure I'm available to the most producers and all that stuff because I'm still young in this in this game. Um, but at the same time, now that I have done it consistently over a set period of time, I can now say, you know what? What's better for my life actually is is if I'm able to work out of Los Angeles. If can you help me make this possible? You know, I had to have that difficult conversation with my my team in Connecticut that really was family to me. I had to have that difficult conversation with my ESPN family, but I you know like you it's hard to try to have it all when I have two conflicting careers, right? Um, but being able to say yes to so many things, built a lot of the relationships so I could say, y'all, this is what's actually better for me. I, I, I don't have to do what is 
above and beyond just by nature of being a woman. I'm going to do my job the same way you treat other people, right? So it's been a journey. It's been a journey. And still to, like, today, to this day, my instinct is to do more. But I'm starting to realize, you know what, if, if, um, you know, if they give this man a benefit of the doubt, why can't we automatically be, you know, granted it as well? So that's the nature of being a woman in a male-dominated industry, no matter what industry you're in. I think it's just be, being comfortable in your own skin, realizing that you have, you are more than qualified. You don't have to, like, what we feel like, and we always do work twice as hard to get just as far. But once you're there, you're there for a reason. And you're usually there because you've outperformed other people, right? And, right. and just not having that doubt in your head. Of course. And I feel like so much of that is, and for me personally, and, and I think you relate to this as well as you were talking about your passion and being able to be on Sports Center Africa and impact women that look like you. Like, I think it's really special to be in sports. And I think the power of it is that you can impact people that look like you as a woman of color, as a woman, or what your identity is, and also have similar experiences as you as an athlete. And to be able to do that on both sides, I feel like that probably, for me, I know it fuels my fire a lot and it sounds like it fuels yours too. So that's like very powerful to hear. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Absolutely. So more, you you talked about like you have two conflicting careers right now, one as a WNBA player, one as a full-time ESPN analyst. Tell us about, I mean, maybe like literally, but also like mentally, like what is it like bouncing both? I know when you were in Connecticut, the commute was a, a trek, <laughs> but it's a little bit easier for you now in LA, but how, how are you bouncing these two things? So it was definitely like, I was so happy and giddy for the opportunity that they gave me while I was in Connecticut, but I realized that that opportunity was not sustainable for a lifetime, meaning playing <laughs> and working in Connecticut while like, you know, I was having a, I was having a great experience at both. It just made it hard over time to sustain both meaning. And you know, the, you know, you probably know the nuances of my, my journey. It was just like mm -hmm. a one and a half hour drive each way to work. And then on top of it, fitting in my training schedule and just trying to balance, you know, like after games, I would not be going to dinner with the team. I would be heading on that one and a half hour drive to stay at a hotel so that I could wake up at 5 a.m. to go in the studio. Like it just was not sustainable. Um, professionally, it wasn't sustainable personally, because at that time, like I was really missing my family. You know, I, I come from a very close knit family, born and raised Houston, Texas. I have three sisters. And I had during this time since I've been drafted, I'd rarely seen them. Like my little sisters played at Rice. I probably made one or two games over their career there. Like I definitely made senior night for for my little sisters, but like, it just was so hard for me to grip that I was barely involved in a, such a big, big time for them. Barely saw my sister, Neka, who had been playing overseas. She went to, she was playing five years straight in Russia, played in China and ch played in Poland. So I was just feeling a little out of whack, really out of whack. So by moving to Los Angeles, not only do I get to see my sister air day, you know what I mean? Um, because she plays for the Sparks. So we, we got to reconnect. Then also, you know, work is just way closer in proximity um, because we typically we stay downtown and that's like six or seven blocks from Staples. So that made it super, super convenient for me to not only work. And then on top of it, you know, the West Coast timing, there's a big difference between being on the East Coast, playing a game, 
watching NBA games that start at 7 and 10 and finish at 1, and then my notes are done at 2 and I'm back in studio after driving an hour and a half by 5, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Versus the games start at 4 and 7, right? And finish at 10, and then I have to be in studio by 7 a.m. Like, just more sustainable from a health standpoint, um, you know, as an athlete. And it gives me more time to also commit myself to both. I can go and train. And I can prepare, I can watch all the games. It just is way more, I have way more balance in my life here. So, but, you know, doing both at the same time is still a challenge. I remember this season, I was, there's a huge NBA, like everyone was talking about it internally at ESPN, NBA free agency with Kevin Durant and all these players, Kyrie, like, is going to be so big. And I was like, y'all, I'm in season. I don't know if I can really participate. And, you know, a lot of the producers were like, Sinead, we need you, we need you, we need you. And I was like, what? Like, okay, whatever, but... They're like, we really need you on this NBA free agency special, like out of anything on ESPN. It's four hours. We're trying to get fresh faces in there. You know, it's, it's a long show. So I was like, the, and I had this motto. The only way I work the next day at ESPN is if my team's coming off a win. Because if we lose, I don't want my teammates to look back and think I'm not focused. Right. But we win, obviously everyone's cool. So I was like, all my producers know that if we win, we're like, I'm coming in studio. So they were all watching the game. which So we played at Staples. They were all watching the game, like, ooh, ooh, they're up, they're blowing them out, good, like, Sinead's going to come in, she's going to make it. <laughs> so I remember from the game ending, I was, I had probably under an hour to get on TV from ending my game, no but ironically, that was the game that Neck and I also had autographs after. So the game ends, Neck and I do autographs, we skip out on media availability, because she knew I had to go. I shower quick, I run across from Staples to ESPN, which is right across LA Live. They gave me like 17 minutes of makeup. And over the process of me signing autographs to getting makeup, that like 30 minute, 40, 40 minute stretch, my agent and her uh, employee would just literally like, and I remember after the game and they sent me texts, like, this is what's happening. Katie, Kyrie, Brooklyn, like this is the next person. This is the package Al Horford to Philadelphia. So like, he's talking me through it. He's like, this is the impact. This is the money implications. This is that, and that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I'm literally getting bombarded by, like, I'm running across. There's Sparks fans in the street. I'm just, like, trying to stay focused. <laughs> There's a lot And then going the first right time I had so much happening, and then the first time I had a calm was when they're like, all right, three, two, live, you're on with Rachel. And um, I think it was Ramona or Brian Windhorst, and, like, we did the fun. I was on for about, like, 45 minutes, and, like, that was just a lot. Like, literally switching gears from on the court to being in studio, but it's so fun. And I think that's what makes me stand out just because I'm a current athlete. Right. right. So when you're a current athlete, you sort of have to like, what are their, co- what do your coaches say? Go above and beyond. And that was one of the more creative ways we did that. But um, it, it is a challenge. It makes you sometimes question as a person, like, can I do both? Should I be doing both? But I think by nature as women, we are excellent multitaskers and you don't know what you can do until someone does. And now I think there's a multitude of um, women that are exploring broadcast opportunities on television at high, at high levels. I mean, you don't like, I don't even have to look far. I just have to look across the locker room to Candace Parker, who's doing mm-hmm. it for Turner. And then there's Christy Tolliver, who's an assistant coach who just won a championship with the Mystics. And she's assistant coach for the Wizards playing, you know, like, so we're, there are a lot of women doing really great stuff. Um, and I think we're just starting now to get recognized for it because we're, we're respecting and celebrating instead of questioning women. And that's why I'm really grateful for this time right now. Of course. And I mean, with that said, like insight from your years in the industry now and, and 
I guess the the platform that you're building for yourself, like you said, like your athlete is your advantage right now because you have that fresh take, you have the insight, you're living and breathing it. But what do you think like makes you good at what you do in the sports industry? Because like a lot sports media industry that is like a lot of these things are kind of on the fly. A lot of them are like you have to, you know, act as if. But what makes you like confident in what you do every day when you're in these like tough situations where it's like not ideal and you just have to make it work? I think when you enter this world and, you know, for me, I was, this was just like a fun opportunity that turned into a professional, you know, real career. Um, I think what makes it doable is the, um, I mean, I know it's cliche, but like, it's really the women, because we go through a whole different initiation, um, you know, when you just enter the ranks of having a platform, especially when you're on television, meaning when I first came, I'll never forget, like Jamel Hill was so great to me. And this was a tough period at ESPN just because she was transitioning out and I was transitioning in. And a lot of people had mixed emotions and mixed feelings internally, right? But Every woman, like Jamel was the one person I knew from when I went on her show as a guest. So like she was an instant connection. Um, Carrie Champion, obviously, um, I'll never forget when I was now like transitioning from just coming on, you know, here and there uh, as a game analyst to actually having a, a, full, a more like a part time role at ESPN, which is like the first step in the door as an employee. Carrie was like sat me down. I think we were in the South somewhere. We were doing the undefeated a, a special. And she sat me down and was like, Tanae, this is what you deserve. I don't care what other people say. They're going to try to do this or that to you. This is what you deserve considering your value. I see the value in you. Don't settle for anything less than that. You know what I mean? Like just to have so many female allies internally that says, hey, Tanae, this is how we do it. This is how I've done it. And then they'll literally give me anecdotes of their experience. Not only Jamel or Carrie or Cassidy Hubbard, who's been huge to me, Doris Burke. Anytime I'm in her city and she's calling a game, she asked me to come to breakfast. And I literally just sit in on their producers meeting. And there's been other great, and I, you know, like stage deals. She's told me some of her toughest moments. Like it's what goes down in the makeup room is like legendary. You know what I mean? Everyone's just, so like stage deals told me some things and I've just like really like her struggles, but also her successes like just literally being surrounded by so many women that look at each other. I'm like, you know what? We've been through it because people question us just by nature of us sitting there and being present. This is how we've made it. Like that to me is what I love. It's that sisterhood, that camaraderie, but equally as important are male allies. I've learned, you know, having male allies in life. And I learned this from my, my parents, my mom, she's a boss woman. Like she just literally got her PhD in education. I'm going home to go see her graduate in like a week and a half. I know she's a boss. Like she's trying to prove like, Hey guys, this is important. Like that's one of the things on my list. I still have to check off. I want to get my MBA. Um, but my dad also, you know, he raised four girls and I, and I talked about Africa being a patriarchal culture in Africa. If you do not have a son, people question you, they look at you different and they, you know, just sort of shade you. But my dad has never, ever made us feel like we are less than. He believes that us as women, we have to be strong, confident, and walk into any room, and we belong to be there, and we can show up the dudes. We can show up the men, right? So, like, it's been a metaphor of not only having a sisterhood, which I have a strong sisterhood internally, but also having male allies. So finding people that will be your advocate, because sometimes it's sad, but we're in, a, we're in this world where some men only want to hear certain things from other men, Right. 
And if you can have someone that you can speak to that can break, help break down those, those stereotypes, that's just as important. That's equally important. So, you know, the way I share my story in my life is literally just inviting people to a game. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, today's an NBA analyst. That's great, right? Until you come to a WNBA game where you haven't thought much about WNBA games. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. That's what most people don't realize. Like you, t- you have so much trash to talk about a league, especially on social media. You're a junior high and elementary kid just because <laughs> it's cool right. to talk about the WNBA like that. They never show us that same energy in person because when you come in person, you see that it's a challenging, tough, rigorous, amazing game, the best female athletes in the world, right? Um, so like when I invite people to a game, they see that part of me. They see the they don't see the girl that's in the studio. They see the, the girl that, like, this is who I am. This is who I've been since I've been 10 years old, right? And so from there, it changes the narrative in, in my head. They're like, oh, not only is she doing this, she's going straight to the studio. She's coming and talking to producers. She's coming more prepared. Like, they have a whole idea of, of work. And it challenges their notion, their, their idea of, oh, well, I thought this guy was great, and I know he's an MBA great, but this is what this girl is doing to just get a seat next to this guy. You know what right. I mean? Right. Like that to me is, is the fight that I'm in and the fight that I love to win, like winning those people over that have questioned women's basketball or question the value we bring. And then just having it deconstructed by nature of showing up to a game. And it's so, and like the coolest thing about showing up to a game is like, it's not an NBA game, meaning in all forms, you want to see Candace Parker, you want to see Diana Taurasi, Buy a ticket, walk down almost to the floor, and you can wave, scream her name. She mm-hmm. likely will come over, sign your autograph. Let me see you do that with LeBron James. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. that's not going to happen. We are, we are accessible, but we are also, um, you know, we're, we're symbols of, of what we hope and aspire for society to be. So, girl, that's my life story. <laughs> and it's, it's still being written, but it's been a challenge, but it's been so much fun um, at the same time still being written and with that said to close out i would love to just hear you've you've mentioned all these things so you've moved to la you've reunited with your sister you've recently launched a podcast with uninterrupted that we didn't get to but i love hearing how you think about a the progression of your career as an espn analyst and b how you are inviting others to see this other side of you as a WNBA all-star as as, as this game is evolving and people are embracing it for, for how amazing it is. But for you personally, how do you think about the progression of your career? I'm doing career in air quotes here because I think the definition <laughs> of it is, is changing today almost as you see a lot of people doing both and whatever their both means. But for you, what, what does that mean for you as you think about your career ahead and how both of these paths of yours evolve together? Yeah, I would say for me, I've never, ever planned or sought out for what I'm doing, meaning I didn't think I was going to be a basketball player. We just fell into basketball, fell in love with it by nature being tall. Our first sport was gymnastics. I didn't think that I was going to be a broadcaster. I just happened to be drafted to Connecticut and, you know, been afforded some really great opportunities by being like, you know, a strong female voice just by nature of being myself, right? and um, getting an opportunity there. Uh, I, I, really, I really think, you know, for me, it's all about your passions, right? So, like, I've always been all in about what makes me me. I'm a Nigerian-American female athlete, and I'm a nerd. And so, Nigerian, um, born and raised in Houston, Texas, to a Nigerian household. My sisters and I are the first generation 
I'm born and raised here in the U.S., which I always say gives us the best of both worlds. We are, uh, we are grateful for the opportunities because we go back to Nigeria often and we see that we're living a lifestyle a lot of people can't back there. But then also we are, we are, we are gifted the opportunities of being American, you know, that American dream where we can capitalize on, you know, literally just ideas and pursuit of excellence and that type of stuff. And, um, you know, being an athlete, like I didn't know that being a basketball player would take me to Stanford University where I could really be a nerd and be a nerd at the highest degree. So like just by nature of being a proud Nigerian, a proud American, a, a nerdy person, an athlete has manifested in different ways of taking me to Stanford or making me a WNBA player. You know, like I've just pursued these passions and they've opened countless doors. So I really like my career has just literally been following those, those things that I, I truly identify with that make me me, which is why I tell people whatever makes you feel like you want to go, like whatever gets you going, lean into that. Be smart though. Meaning like always have a plan B go to Harvard if you can, or, you know, get your master's or like do your best in homework if you're in high school, because at the end of the day, when the opportunity is ready to be given out, Having that academic foundation of, oh, like, it, here's one scholarship. Well, we have to give it to the person that, like, we know will academically get into the institution. Or we, we have to give it to the person who has a foundation for discipline and I don't have to worry about. Having that foundation for success is just so vital. So, um, you know, I, I just I always tell people, whatever you're passionate about, don't quit your day job. Keep the main hustle, the main hustle until your side hustle can become the main hustle, right? Like, like that's, that's the mantra, like pursue your passions, attack them. Don't let people put you in a box. Like I was facing a, a society in which by nature being a women's basketball player, they want to say you're less than, you're not as good as the men. You don't deserve to get paid as much as the men. Your game is not as cool. Right. I had to think outside the box. I had to box out of the box, right? Like we're boxed out, right? Like I had to, uh, in my head, my number one goal is to not be defined by other people's perception of what I was doing. So it, it, it took me to different um, lanes, different opportunities. And I just, I just implore everyone else to do the same thing. Like if this is your passion, if this is your personality, be authentic. That's the number one thing I've learned, you know, in, in basketball, like basketball, Fans will identify with someone that is authentically themselves. In television, you could be a great reporter or host, but if you're authentic, that's what makes you identify with the viewer. So authenticity, number one, matters. And I think that's, that starts and ends with your passions and just being smart about pursuing them. Um, and and you know, so, like, you asked me about my career, girl. I don't even know where I'm going with my career. <laughs> I'm having fun. I'm grateful for the opportunities. I love working with ESPN. I love being an NBA analyst. I love being a personality. I think now being in Los Angeles, I'm trying to figure out, okay, I've got this whole sports personality thing going. It's great. But like, there's so much more to life. You know, people right. like you and me, we, we need a platform for us to really share our voices. And so I think I'm trying to creatively find ways or platforms where I, we can sort of speak for people that are, you know, like curious like us. So right. that's all I see in the future, girl. 2020 coming. I um, love it. 2020 vision. I don't know what's coming. coming. <laughs> hey, 2020 vision. I, I'm surprised I hadn't seen that on like Instagram yet. Oh, it's it's coming. I'm, I'm about to start a countdown. <laughs> I already did it with the Drake. Let's lyric, go. This one's about to come. <laughs> All right. Well, two-time WNBA All-Star, ESPN analyst, many other things, and hyphens. Founder of Nerd City, Shanae Agumake. Thank you so much for joining us.
always a sister a carry is a sister of mine so yes, i appreciate you i love it thank you shanae <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening into this episode. In the meantime, we want to hear from you. Stay connected. Leave us a comment on Apple podcast, DM us or contact us on our website, whatever is easiest. We want to know your feedback and what questions you have. Otherwise, we'll be back soon with more athletes, more perspectives and more pro tips on the way.